Good morning. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you for the next hour. It is Monday, July 25th, and we begin a new week here with new things on the horizon. But the one thing that remains constant is that we will begin the day in prayer. So let's do that together right now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, pardon me there. As I said, it is good to be with you on this Monday morning. We are going to start a new week today, as we do every Monday, and we've got some exciting things in store. Um, We've been very happy to be bringing you these moments with Doug Berry over the past two weeks, and we're going to continue this week, but we're shifting our focus from the Rosary now to the Ten Commandments. So beginning today, Doug's going to be with us every day to take a look at one of the Ten Commandments, and I'm very excited about that. Today is uh, my son's name day, uh, his patronal feast for his name, St. James the Greater. Uh, We named him after St. James the Greater, not St. James the Lesser. Although, if you're like me and you've wondered what the distinction is, I, I understand, I've been told by someone in a position of authority to know such things. Really, the only difference between the greater and the lesser was St. James the Greater was taller and St. James the Lesser was shorter. It has nothing to do with value or or worth. They're both pretty great, you know, but one was taller and one was shorter. So St. James the Greater is who we celebrate today. We're going to be talking with some seminarians from the Archdiocese of St. Louis who recently made the Camino pilgrimage, the Camino de Santiago uh, in Compostela, Spain, Beautiful thing. I'm going to let them tell you about it because if I get going on it here, I won't stop. And then why have a conversation with them? And trust me, you want to hear it from them because they actually made the pilgrimage. So we'll be talking with them this morning as well. And it's Monday, so John Martinoni is going to be with us. And we're going to talk about uh, what the Bible says, a very particular thing about the Bible and celibacy and priesthood. And some would argue that the Bible says you should not have a celibate priesthood. But John's going to say, no, 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 that is not. As you can guess, spoiler alert, John's going to show the opposite. He's going to say, no, the Bible actually allows for a celibate priesthood, and he'll explain how. Uh, so that's on the show today. Also this week is National uh, Natural Family Planning Awareness Week here in the United States, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in the week. We'll be talking with Tiffany Huckleman and Kathy Vollmer about the uh, the benefits of NFP, and also we celebrate Grandparents' Day this week. Um, they, they kind of moved the celebration to yesterday, but the feast is tomorrow, World Grandparents' Day, for the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne, the original grandparents. You know, Not the original. There were grandparents before them, but Jesus' grandparents. So a great model for us, and we're going to be talking about that this week. That's some of what's in store this week, and uh, I'm not going to tell you the rest. You've got to stay tuned. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Adam. Why are we investing so much time in the rosary? Why are we investing so much time in the Ten Commandments? Why, 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 why? Well, as you know, there's one question that I would ask all of us here on Roadmap to Heaven, and that is, when you die, when you die, do you want to go to heaven? 
It's a yes or no question. It should not be a maybe. Hopefully it's a yes. Well, to do that, it matters what we do in this life. We have to strive to stay in a state of grace. We need sanctifying grace to get to heaven. We cannot get to heaven without it. And it's not something that we can produce on our own. It's put in our souls by God. Now, God will freely offer it to us, but we have to freely accept it. So if we are saying to ourselves, uh, you know what, I'd rather have this than sanctifying grace. Uh, you know, God, I know you say this. follow this commandment, but I'd rather not follow that commandment. Well, then we evict, we kick sanctifying grace out of our souls in favor of what we want. And so we don't want to do that because that would be a terrible thing. Now, why put so much emphasis on this, especially Adam, you know, you're, you're a young, strapping lad of 39. You, you don't need to worry about this now, do you? Sadly, there are times in life where we do get a sobering reminder of the importance of making sure we are prepared. Um, without going too much into it, I would like to ask you to pray for a young man who passed away last week, late last week. He is about my age. He was about my age. And he leaves behind a wife and three children. And I cannot even begin to imagine how difficult of a time this is for them. So uh, please pray for the repose of his soul, and please pray for his family that he leaves behind. It was not something, as I understand it, that they were expecting. And as I said, um, I, I can't even begin to imagine how difficult this is for them. But over the weekend, as I've been praying with this and reflecting on this, it has become a very sobering reminder for me to hug my kids and to love my wife, and to not take each day for granted, but to treat each day as if God could call me home this day, which means, which means if I need to go to confession, well, like, I can do that in a couple of weeks. No, get to confession as soon as is reasonably possible. You know, that's, that's the number one thing. Repair that relationship with God as soon as you can if you've breached it. Why? because we don't know the day or the hour. And so, you know, again, a, a very sobering and sad wake-up call for many of us uh, this weekend. But if I could ask you again, I don't want to say any names on the air. I don't have permission to do so, but God knows who I'm talking about. And so if you just pray for the repose of this gentleman's soul and pray for his family, for his wife and children, and all those who mourn his loss, um, that would be a wonderful gift you could offer. We are going to be talking with the seminarians first on the show from the Archdiocese of St. Louis. But before we do that, before we talk about the Camino, we got to find out about the weather here in our own local area to find out if it's a good day to go for a walk here. So let's go now to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Christopher, who was a martyr, and the apostle St. James the Greater. Born in Bethsaida around the year 3 AD, he was the son of Zebedee and Salome and the brother of the apostle John. He was referred to as James the Greater to distinguish him from James, son of Alphaeus, probably because he was taller. The first time we meet James, he and his brother John are fishing on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus calls them to come and follow, making them among the first 
apostles. James, John, and Peter witness the transfiguration, and James is with Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane. It is also James and John who are rebuked by Jesus for wanting fire sent down on a Samaritan town that refused to accept them as they made their final journey into Jerusalem. His mother, Salome, was also a devoted follower of Jesus. James was beheaded around the year 42 or 43 AD at the order of Herod and his remains were taken to Galicia, Spain. During the persecution of the Christians in the third century, his tomb was abandoned, but around 814, it was rediscovered when strange lights were seen in the sky and then until now, a church has been on that very site. The current being Santiago de Compostela, which is the destination of the pilgrimage walk known as the Way of St. James. St. James the Greater, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. And in a first for us, it's an international interview. We are Jumping across the pond, as they might say, although they don't say that where our guests are. That's an English thing. But I'm English, so we're jumping across the pond today to talk about the Camino de Santiago. And what is the Camino, and why are we talking about it today? Well, it's all related to St. James, and so we're happy to be joined today via Zoom by Deacon Ryan Kornstrom from Kenrick Lennon Seminary, who's actually here in St. Louis and Chesterfield as we speak. And then in Spain right now, we have seminarians Rob Lawson and Jeff Fenewald, who are both students in Theology 3 at Kenrick Seminary. Gentlemen, it is good to have you with us today. Great to be here. Happy to join you. Thanks for the invitation. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, and I, I think because of all of the foibles of Zoom, I'm, I'm going to play teacher here for a moment. Rob, I'm going to start with you. For all of our listeners who aren't familiar with the Camino de Santiago, I mean, Camino loosely translates road or, or path. What is the Camino in, that you just completed? So long story short, it's a ancient pilgrimage to the tomb of St. James the Greater, the Apostle. In one sense, it's the second most holy tomb for the apostles right behind St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And for us, it took about 31 days, 32 days to travel across Spain on foot to get to this ancient tomb, going through all these historic towns, really living the pilgrimage life that has been going on for centuries there. Okay, so Jeff, when we talk about this, Rob just mentioned that 30-ish days that it took you to complete from June 11th to July 12th, this is not a life of luxury along the way that you, you fly over to Spain and, or to France, say we're going to start our path, so let's get on our, get in our sports car and we'll, we'll drive the path, we'll stay in four-star hotels every night. This is a pilgrim lifestyle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well... There are a couple of different options, um, kind of challenged by choice, you might say. So there are people from all ages that come to do this. And for some of them, they hike what they can. They might break it up into different chunks. Many people carry what they have on their backs. So everything that you have with you is on, on your back and in your backpack. You carry that with you. And then for us, yeah, you're, you're right. It was It's not a lap of luxury. And we joke, day one and day two were a pretty rude awakening climbing over the Pyrenees. Wow. I guess a question our listeners will ask, where do you sleep when you're making the Camino? I mean, do you just 
take out a, a pillow on the side of the road and hunker down, or, or where do you stay? One of the big options is what we call albergues. They're sort of hostels meant for pilgrims. So you pay a little bit, you get a bed for the night. Now for us three personally, the cost of three beds was around the same price as a room by itself, so we didn't have to share it with 50 other people. And so oftentimes we were in these albergues, but we got our own room for just the three of us. Okay. Now, Deacon Kornstrom, I want to talk about the pilgrimage aspect of this, because it, it I'm sure it's amazing hiking over the Pyrenees, although we, we heard rude awakening, but it, it has to be breathtaking, some of the scenes that you saw along the way. But that's not the main point. That's a, a great grace and a great blessing along the way. But what is, spiritually, what was your main intention as you made this journey? Yeah, so it's worth, I'm just going to hop back real quick to that previous question. Santiago, right, this tomb it was around 830 or so when the body of St. James was discovered by this hermit. And so that's where this town, you know, just to go back to that, that's where this town gets its name, Santiago de Compostela, uh, related to the Latin Compostela, a field of stars. So this hermit saw these stars in the sky that indicated to him where the location of the tomb of St. James was. So it was from that point in the ninth century until the present day, the people began to make pilgrimage to the tomb of the apostle. So that gets to your question. This whole trip, these 32 days, you're walking past breathtaking scenery through the mountains. Um, There's a good chunk through vineyard after vineyard. We looked at every vine in the La Rioja region. So if you're sipping on a glass of uh, wine from La Rioja, we saw where it came from. (laughs) Barley fields, wheat fields, everything you can imagine. So all kinds of terrain. It's really, it was quite remarkable from that perspective to see the variety over the course of 32 days, what for us in the States may be relatively close together. Um, In Spain, there was a great variety. So yeah, that's the backdrop. And then spiritually, one of the main takeaways that I, you know, we kind of all process together as we walk along. And one of the main takeaways for me was realizing, yeah, sleeping in a different bed every night, not really knowing, you know, it's not a life of luxury. You're staying in these albergues that are used to people coming in in the morning and leaving uh, or coming in at night and leaving real quick in the morning and doing a quick turnaround. But one of the main charisms of the Camino is this hospitality. So for centuries, different religious communities, you know, monks would receive pilgrims in these hospitals. And so that feeling for me, having just been ordained a a deacon, being far away from home and being a pilgrim and sleeping in all these different places, kind of inspired a lot of interior reflection on what it means to be in a particular place and to be called to a particular place. So to put it simply, that was one of the graces spiritually was God has called me now to see all these beautiful places and to travel across this whole country see many of these beautiful Spanish towns, but I don't belong in any of those beautiful Spanish towns. There is a place where I do belong, and that's at home in St. Louis, that God's called me as a deacon now and in a year as a priest to a particular people and to, to serve a particular place. And so that was brought forward for me as I walked along. Rob, when we think about a 30-day journey, I mean, I'm looking at vacations right now for this fall, my wife and I are thinking of a destination where we might go hiking. And after about three days, I'm going to be ready to throw in the towel and say that's been enough hiking. When you get to the end of this, I imagine you're pretty tired. You're ready to be finished. What comes over you as you now approach the Compostela Church, as you as you 
reach the end of your journey? So an amazing thing sort of happens as you enter Santiago. The entire trip, there are these stone markers that had the kilometers written to the cathedral. And so slowly but surely watching that number go down. And then there's a moment in the plaza of the cathedral where you reach mark zero. You are there. And there's just sort of this awe-inspiring moment. You're surrounded by your fellow pilgrims. Some of them are literally laying on the ground in the plaza because they're done. They finished it. Then to go in to the cathedral and visit the tomb of St. James himself and go like, this is this is what it was. This is why I did this. The graces that, that I, I gained through these past 30 days, the prayers that I prayed for the people back home, like this was the purpose. I am bringing them to this apostle who was so close to Jesus. I mean, he was one of the big three. Every time Jesus took a small group, it was always Peter, John, and James. So one of the big three. And like, you're not going to get anyone closer to Jesus. <laughs> and so to be able to lay those intentions and the, the fruits of my labor at the tomb was just an amazing moment. Rob just mentioned Peter, James, and John, the big three. How has this impacted the three of you? I mean, I imagine you, you don't go on a trip with two of your fellow seminarians unless you know you're going to get along with them, but that this has in some way changed the dynamic of your friendship, of the camaraderie you've experienced in seminary. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, well, originally, and this is maybe uh, a key point, is that everyone, they say everyone's Camino begins like the, the day that you set out to do it. And so that's from your own doorstep. And for us, that was back in 2020. And there were supposed to be 10 of us. We were gonna We were going to go with a group of 10 seminarians. And so this has been a long time coming. And obviously, with a, a couple of years passing and us now finally being able to, to make it happen, people's schedules have changed. And so for us to be the three, the kind of chosen three, well, there was certainly, as is the case in seminary and community life, plenty of tension and plenty of, yeah, I guess, fraternal growth that happened between the three of us. And so Rob and I being being classmates and certainly growing closer over this journey. And, and for me, that was a big takeaway as well on the pilgrimage. It wasn't just about proving something to myself to walk 500 something miles but it was about being together and it was about doing what's best for the community. And God willing, as a priest one day, it won't just be about punching in and doing the work that's in front of me, but rather being present, being available and loving the community around me well. And so I think that that, that's really what makes this pilgrimage such a great metaphor for our earthly pilgrimage is there's really one goal in mind and that's to get to heaven and hopefully to do that together with brothers is an added blessing. Now, Rob and Jeff, you are still, you're close to diaconate ordination, but you've got another year before you get there. Uh, you're still in a process of discernment, although I imagine if you're in Theology 3, you're, you're pretty confident you know what God's calling you to. Not that men haven't left the seminary after Theology 3 or Theology 4. How has taking this pilgrimage, and again, those intentions for your friends and family that you've brought, but also praying for yourself and your vocation, how has this impacted your discernment? Do you, know, do you feel stronger now in your call to the priesthood that you're in the right place? Yeah, for me, there was this moment in the square uh, before the cathedral, and I just wanted to kind of soak in that moment, that arrival, 
So I returned um, a couple hours after we arrived and I saw this large group of young students from Spain and they were, you could actually hear them come around the corner before you could even see them. And they were chanting and singing and they were being led by a couple of religious sisters and one or more priests as well. And when, once they got to the center, they embraced and they cheered and they like just congratulated each other and rejoiced with each other. And then they, they all knelt down and prayed together. And after a while, stood back up and continued to embrace one another. And, and for me, this was a huge moment of confirmation of my call, because just what welled up in me was a desire to look at the people of God the way that this priest looked at his students, the way that I could just tell the, the pride that he had in them, that he was grateful that they had made it all the way. And this, of course, isn't about just about Santiago's tomb, but this is an image of our earthly pilgrimage taking us to heaven. And so for me, what welled up in me was thoughts of St. Joseph Imperial and all the parishioners there, and just a desire to be with them in heaven one day and to lead the people of God, the people of the Archdiocese of St. Louis to heaven, God willing, as a priest. And for me, there was amazing affirmation along the trail as we met other people and just the spiritual fatherhood that just came over all three of us for these people that not only were around our age, but sometimes twice our age. Many people just coming up to us and learning that we're seminarians and just want to sort of, as this past Sunday's gospel talked about, you know, learn at the master's feet. Not that we are Christ at all, but there was just something there realizing that this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to serve the people of God, to be the spiritual father for them. And wow. It was a really amazing thing along the way. Wow, that's that's beautiful. Deacon, I want to modify this question for you a little bit because, you know, Rob talked earlier about the mile marker, or I shouldn't say mile markers, it's Europe, the kilometer markers along the way that as you start out, they start counting down. And when you get to zero, when you are at the final destination, that sense of joy that comes over you. And he mentioned that some pilgrims, they would lay down because they reached the end and maybe they're both emotionally and physically exhausted. You are nearing the end of your journey through seminary. You've got a year of study left as you're a transitional deacon that actually does culminate with you coming to the cathedral in St. Louis and literally laying down on the floor there as well as part of the ordination rite. How has this experience of making this pilgrimage affected you as you prepare in this final year of your seminary pilgrimage? Yeah, great question. Father Fallon, our vocation director for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, made the comment to me for the three of us really that the pilgrimage was sort of the beginning of the procession into the cathedral towards the marble to lay down our lives so for jeff and rob kind of more so on the way to diaconate ordination and then me in some ways on the way to priesthood and so one of the beautiful parts of the rite of diaconate ordination is that moment when archbishop rosansky handed me the book of the gospels and you know, said, you are now a herald of this gospel and remember what's inside and live your life and conform your life to what's contained within it. And so part of our practice throughout the Camino was to read the gospels. So every day, depending on where we were, we read about four chapters from one of the gospels. And then we also made it through the Acts of the Apostles, the letters of, of John and of James. And that gave us something to kind of pray about as we walked. But I share that just because in terms of my own kind of vocation, part of this experience and the 32 days of walking was a sort of consecration of 
my ministry as a deacon and then as a priest starting a year from now to serve the people in St. Louis to kind of really, especially as, as Catholics, we believe a lot in redemptive suffering and in offering things up. So there's a lot from head to toe, uh, plenty of blisters, especially probably more so on the toes, where there are everyday things to be offered up. And so the pain of walking, you know, some of those 12 to 19 miles, whatever it was every day, the blisters, the soreness, you know, carrying the bag, lots of things that are not comfortable and aren't glamorous, but that are meritorious and have value, you know, for the Lord when we unite them to his cross. So for me, it was really an experience of I'm offering all this to the Lord and, and allowing it to be a sort of consecration of my own ministry. That's beautiful. Well, Deacon Ryan Kornstrom, seminarians Rob Lawson and Jeff Fenewald, I want to thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. I have to tell you, as a member of the Sarah Club, it's a wonderful opportunity to hear from you, our seminarians, as you're in your formation for vocations. And I want to thank you for sharing this uh, little story about your journey on the Camino with our listeners here on Roadmap to Heaven. I assume wholeheartedly all three of you would endorse that if there are some listeners that are seriously thinking about making this pilgrimage, that they should really consider doing it. You've got me thinking about it now. I'm wondering if I have what it takes. But, Deacon, I wonder, could I ask you to close us out in prayer as we wrap up? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, on this feast of St. James, we ask that you give us the spirit of St. James. We ask that you give us his devotion to the gospel and help us to proclaim the words of Jesus to live the actions of Jesus in our daily lives, that we might bring everyone closer to you, to our Heavenly Father, especially through the intercession of St. James. Give us his apostolic spirit and his fervor and his devotion to the gospel that took him all the way to the people of Spain. Help us to bring that same spirit to the people of St. Louis, the people around us, um, everyone who's listening to this show. May they have that same spirit and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel. We ask this through Christ our Lord, Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Rob and Jeff, safe travels to you as you return from Barcelona back to St. Louis. You have to come back for the start of the academic year. That much I know. And Deacon, thanks for being with us uh, via Zoom today. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. St. Ignatius of Loyola's Prayer Against Depression. Oh, Christ Jesus, when all is darkness and we feel our weakness and helplessness, Give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in your protecting love and strengthening power so that nothing may frighten or worry us. For, living close to you, we shall see your hand, your purpose, your will through all things. Amen. I love Mondays because we talk with John Martinoni about common scriptural errors and fallacies, and we get the, the real deal. We get the truth of the matter from our Catholic perspective and our Catholic faith. And today, you know, it would be really tempting for me to say, John, when's the world going to come to an end? But I'm not going to put you on the spot. I do know, though, <laughs> that ever since the ascension, essentially we are in the end times. Now, I don't know if it's tomorrow or two years from now or 200 years from now, but I know in, in the course of salvation history, we are technically in the end times. And there's this passage in First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, that says, 
Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the last times, some will turn away from the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and demonic instructions. goes on in verse 3 to say, They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And some would say, see, that's you Catholics. You, for, you forbid your priests to get married, and you require abstinence from foods. And uh, it says right there in First Timothy that people that do that, they're, they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and demonic instructions. And that is not the case, as John Martinoni is about to tell us. So, John, good to have you with us this morning. I look forward to this clarification. All right, Adam, it's good to be with you as always and with your listeners. And, and yes, what a lot of Protestants, the uh, evangelicals, Baptists, etc., will use this verse to hit on Catholics or to argue against the Catholics' discipline of priestly celibacy, that our, our priests are not married, in the Latin rite at least, for the most part. Again, it says, through the pretensions of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, and then it goes on to say, and enjoin abstinence from foods. Well, we have some abstinence days, you know, Fridays, particularly Fridays during Lent and Ash Wednesday and other people on, you know, throughout the year, they'll abstain from meat on Fridays and so forth. But here's the thing. What they're talking about, first and foremost, is probably most scholars think the Gnostics, because the Gnostics forbid marriage, because the Gnostics had this thing that the material world was bad, the spiritual world was good. Well, what happens when you get married? You have kids, which means more material things, more material beings, and the material beings are inherently bad. Again, that's Gnosticism. Or they could also be talking about the Judaizers, who were Christians who hung, clung to the Jewish traditions of not eating particular foods. And again, it says, enjoined abstinence from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So it sounds like he's talking about those who uh, hold on to the kosher laws. But the thing is, is we don't forbid anybody from being married. Priests take a vow, a voluntary vow, of abstinence. And that is, you know, perfectly in accord with Scripture. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, Verse 8, Paul says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain single as I do. So Paul is pushing the single life here. Why is he doing that? Well, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. What it does with its priest is ask them to take a vow of celibacy as one of the requirements for becoming a priest. Why? Because Paul said it right there in 1 Corinthians 7.32, the unmarried man is, tries to please the Lord. The married man, his, his interests are divided between the world and pleasing the Lord, pleasing his wife and pleasing the Lord. And, furthermore, this is perfectly in line with what Jesus says in Matthew 19. He says, not all men can receive this precept, but only those to whom it is given. This is Matthew 19, verse 10 and following. 
For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. Those are, you know, those born eunuchs. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. This would often happen when a king would have someone guard his harem or something. He would make them eunuchs. And then it says, and then there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about there? Those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. They haven't made themselves physically eunuchs, you know, and, and they haven't done anything to physically harm themselves because, you know, there's no reason for them to do that for the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about those who have essentially given up their right to marriage. Because why? To serve the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus mentions these men who have given up, they've taken a vow of celibacy, in essence, they've given up their right to be married. Why? In order to serve men for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Adam, I would ask you, I said, can you name any particular faith tradition that has a group of men who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, let's see. I'm thinking, to, oh, wait, wait, the Catholic Church. So, again, what it says in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3, about those who forbid marriage, that is not at all talking about in any way, shape, or form the Catholic discipline of having priests take a vow of celibacy, or having young men take a vow of celibacy in order to become priests. That's just, it's not what's being talked about there in context. And then when you throw in what Jesus said in Matthew 19, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, it's very obvious that the Catholic practice of celibacy for their priesthood as the norm is fits right in with scriptural teaching and tradition. There you have it, friends. You can't just pick and choose one little piece of scripture. It all fits together, as John just illustrated for us. And uh, John, I want to thank you for this clarity because it all it, it always helps me look at the bigger picture of everything we're talking about. I look forward to our next discussion. As do I, sir. Friends, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. A prayer to the Archangel Gabriel. O blessed Archangel Gabriel, we beseech thee, do thou intercede for us at the throne of divine mercy in our present necessities that, as thou didst announce to Mary the mystery of the Incarnation, so through thy prayers and patronage in heaven we may obtain the benefits of the same and sing the praise of God forever in the land of the living. Amen. Well, hello, Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, and I'm always happy to be talking with Doug Barry, and today is no exception. So, Doug, last time we were together, we were talking about Marian apparitions. We were talking about how to pray the rosary. Today, we're getting back to some more basics. We are all called to live a life free of sin. In other words, don't break the law, but what is the law? And Luckily, God gave us the law in 10 easy commandments here. So that's what we're going to spend the next several times together talking about are the 10 commandments. What do we want to say at the outset about this? Well, first thing I would say is they're not suggestions. We've heard that term, they're the 10 commandments, not the 10 suggestions. You go back to Exodus and you see that this is the covenant that God makes with the people through Moses. And he makes it clear, this is a covenant that I'm making with you, my law. You will be my people. I will be your God. 
And this law is to be written on the heart. It is to animate our lives. It's to guide everything that we do. He keeps it simple. He brings it to 10 simple commandments, three predominantly focus on God, seven predominantly focus on our neighbor, you could say, which are summed up in the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the 10 ultimately. And the last thing I would say is you go to Matthew chapter 19, and it's really clear when the young man or rich man, you know, different translations depict him as approach Jesus and ask him, what must I do to enter into everlasting life? Our Lord's real clear when he says, if you wish to enter into heaven, you need to follow the commandments. And then he breaks it down a bit more in detail from there. So it is something that a lot of people don't know much about. We get an idea you're not supposed to steal unless you really need it. Don't lie unless you're going to get in trouble. You know, honor your parent, mother, and father unless you really disagree with what they're telling you to do. I mean, we have these ways of rationalizing ourselves out of following the commandments because we think they are more suggestions than actually a covenant from God. All right. So not suggestions, commandments. Well, I think let's tackle one a day and talk about what we're talking about here. So number one. I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. There's a little bit to unpack there because strange gods, are are there other gods, Doug, that I didn't know about? Yeah, well, you know, you have Zeus and Apollo, these guys, you know, they're real, they're out. No, just kidding. No, 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 no. There are no gods, but we make things gods. You know, one of the best statements I've ever heard and I like to say is, if God is not your God, something else or somebody else will be. It may be yourself. You may make yourself your own God. You know, that idea of you will not worship any false gods, you will not have any graven images either. So that also gets Catholics, you know, in kind of a quandary at times when non-Catholics approach us about why we have statues, like I have the Blessed Mother behind me, or you have a crucifix on your wall there. So is that a graven image? It is not. That's a whole separate issue we can discuss another time. But ultimately, having a God or or something or yourself that you worship, you put trust into more than God himself. If you follow things like horoscopes, palm reading, any kind of seances, mediums, things of that nature, Ouija boards, this kind of stuff, anything that's trying to foretell the future, these things also have a false God aspect to them. So the first commandment is pretty clear. God must be number one across the board Nothing else can or should be made more important than God in your life. I would also say this. The first commandment commands us to seek God. We have a responsibility to seek a relationship with God. Don't just sit back and say, well, I'm not worshiping the other God. I'm good. You've got to go after this relationship with God. God's already there. It's up to us to engage in that relationship, and that's also something that is necessary under the first commandment. You know, Doug, one of the things I love to remember about the commandments as a parent, and you're a parent, so you know this as well, that it's not just about do this because I said so. It's do this because I love you, and if you don't do it, bad things will happen. So, you know, I don't know that many of our listeners are out there saying, I was thinking about following Zeus today. But if you delve, you know, if you delve into those horoscopes, if you go to that medium, and especially Ouija boards, I mean, if we could have red lights go off right now, danger, 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 I would, because it's not just about God is God first. It's about those things can be portals to spiritual warfare and the demonic that we don't ever want to go near. Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent point to bring up is that they do open doors to the enemy. The enemy is always looking for a way to interfere 
with God being number one in our life. And so any of these aspects we get into from the Ouija boards, the palm reading, the horoscopes, any kind of seances, anything like that, anything that actually tries to tarot cards, tries to predict or manipulate future, these things are not of God. They are not just bad. They are, as you mentioned, doorways, portals, openings to a whole nother level of diabolical problems. So if we're into that stuff at all, just got to get the confession. You got to get it cleaned up and get back to that on your knees before God. You are my God, my Lord and my God, as St. Thomas cried out when Jesus appears in the upper room. My Lord and my God must be number one. All right. Well, there we go. The first commandment. We're going to tackle the other nine remaining commandments over the next nine days. Well, Doug Barry, it's always good to be with you. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate the chance to be with you. All right, friends, we're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. It's a new week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, and with our new theme, we welcome back, as always, Patty Schneier. Well, it's great to be with you and start a new week, a new topic of Daily Dose of Encouragement. And this week, I just had to reflect on some of the amazing homilies that have shaped my life. I'm a member of St. Ferdinand Parish in Florissant and have been blessed with some amazing pastors and associate priests in my 30 years as a parishioner there. And I started thinking about what are some of my favorite homilies? And so I wanted to share each day some of the truths that have shaped me and formed me because of the homilies that these priests have given. So the first one is from Father Gene Robertson, and he gave it in January 2002. Now think about that. That's over 20 years ago, and I still remember this homily. That's how much it really sunk in. And On this particular Sunday, I remember all he did was tell a story about a little girl named Mary. This is in my testimony. I tell this story all across the United States. He told the story about Mary and how she was four years old and she bought at Walmart with her own money a little set of plastic pearls. You know, those little jewelry set with the necklace and the bracelet and the little plastic earrings. And she always wore them. And one night her dad came in to tell her a a bedtime story. And he said, Mary, do you love me? And she says, yeah. And he goes, "Well, well, give me your pearls. She says, oh, no, Daddy, you can't have my pearls. The next night, he would do the same thing. Mary, do you love me? She says, yeah. He goes, give me your pearls. And night after night, he would ask little Mary for these little plastic fake pearls. And night after night, she'd offer everything else, just not those pearls. And then one night, he comes in, and he finds Mary sitting on the bed. And she reaches out, and she opens up her hand. And as a tear streams down her face, she gives her dad her plastic set of pearls. And then her dad, what does he do? He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a black velvet case and he presents his daughter with a set of real pearls. And here's what Father Gene Robertson said. He said, you see, he had just been waiting patiently and lovingly for Mary to give up her fake pearls so that he could give her real ones. And then he went on to say this, Jesus will never leave you alone. He's going to ask you time and time again, do you love me? And if we say yes, he's going to ask us for everything that we have. And he will wait patiently and lovingly until we give him all the fake pearls, all the agendas, all the stuff we think we need. And if we do that, hand it all over to Jesus, we're going to get something wonderful in return. I am still quoting that homily from over 20 years ago. It's part of my story of how I was able to give up the fake pearls of contraception in my life because of that 
homily and many, many other graces and miracles that God did in my life. But that homily was huge. And so I want to thank all of our priests for the seeds that they plant in all of us. They don't even know it. They, you just told a story about a little girl named Mary. But she had a fake set of pearls, and I knew that I was Mary. So what is your fake set of pearls? What is it that you're holding on to? Hand it over to Jesus, and like little Mary, you're going to get something wonderful in return. Well, I can already tell that this is one of those weeks where I'm going to need to keep my notepad and pen handy to take notes and write these quotes down. What a fantastic reflection for us today on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Thank you, Patty. A prayer for the holy souls. O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, deliver the souls of all the faithful departed from the pains of hell and from the bottomless pit. Deliver them from the lion's mouth, that hell not swallow them up, that they fall not into darkness, but let the holy standard-bearer Michael bring them into the holy light which you promised to Abraham and his seed. Amen. And we do have a catechist question today. The question is a true or false question, true or false. The resurrection of the body is the rising of the human body united with the soul on the last day of time. It will bring the body to a state of perfection and glory. True or false? I'll read it again. The resurrection of the body is the rising of the human body united with the soul on the last day of time. It will bring the body to a state of perfection and glory. True or false? It is true. In fact, we profess that in the Creed, both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, that we believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And uh, I love this part, though, the church teaching. that It will bring our body to a state of perfection and glory. I mean, how many of us look in the mirror and say, well, I'm not at that state of perfection and glory yet? Um, well, keep working on it, but hold out if you get to heaven, you know, resurrection of the body to a state of perfection and glory. How wonderful that will be. Uh, we used to ask about this in my catechism class. What, what does that mean? And our, our professor, Dr. Gresham, uh, said, you know, that his understanding from Thomas Aquinas was that our body around age 25 or 30, you know, is what Thomas Aquinas would posit. But we each have our own idea of what that would mean, and more so, God has his own idea. And that's the one that really matters there, friends. So uh, there's your catechist question for the day. I would like to thank our seminarians for being with us today and uh, wish them all the best in their studies this year. I'd like to thank John Martinoni once again for being with us and Doug Berry for taking so much time with us to really help us break into these important topics tomorrow. Doug and I will continue the Ten Commandments. We're also going to be talking with Paul and Kay Halfman about the vocation of grandparents. You know, we often talk about the vocation of parenting on this show because a lot of you listening are parents, and I'm a parent, and I want to be a good parent. And You know, that that's a good thing, but that vocation changes when your kids have kids. You become a grandparent, and uh, Paul and Kay will be here to offer some reflections on that. Also this week, we'll be talking with Father Kirby about confession and grace. And as I said, it's NFP Awareness Week, so we're going to talk about NFP a little bit this week as well. And, you know, if that's not enough to look forward to, we're going to be praying every day. We've got, like I said, the Ten Commandments every day. What more could you want? I do want to remind you that we are drawing near to the end of the month of July. Now, it's one of those ones, you know, I have a couple reminders in my phone. One says last Monday of the month. So I actually need to text my wife after the show here and make sure that our vehicle's on the right or correct side of the street. And maybe not the right, because I think the right side of the street is what they clean today. So it, it needs to be on the left side. So make sure it's on the correct side. 
and same thing for tomorrow. And normally that would also be my reminder to get ready for first Friday and first Saturday, except Saturday is July 30th and Sunday is July 31st. So we've still got some time before first Friday and first Saturday. But we're running out of time to celebrate this month devoted to the precious blood of our Lord. So perhaps every day this week you could see to it to pray the litany and pray for reparation of sins against the sacred heart of Jesus and his precious blood. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. And for all those who have died, may their soul and the souls of all the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.